0: Chapter Six, Part Two of *Damien* by Hermann Hesse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter Six: Jacob wrestles with God, Part Two. In the night, I woke up out of a deep sleep. I was dressed and lying transversely across the bed. I struck a light, feeling that I must try to remember something important that had happened. I knew nothing of the hours just past. I turned on the light, and recollection came back gradually. I looked for the picture. It was not hanging on the wall, neither was it lying on the table. I thought confusedly that I must have burned it. Or was it a dream that I had burned it in my hands and had eaten the ashes?' a great inquietude convulsed me and drove me forth i put on my hat went out of the house and down the street as if under coercion i walked and walked through streets and squares as if blown along by a storm i listened in front of the gloomy church of my friend searched in obedience to a blind impulse without knowing what i was looking for i went through a suburb where brothels stood here and there a light was still shining Further on stood new buildings and brick heaps covered in part with grey snow. I went on through this wilderness, driven forward by a strange impulse, like a man walking in a dream. The thought of the new building in my native town crossed my mind, that building to which my tormentor, Cromer, had drawn me to settle accounts with him. In the grey night, a similar building stood there in front of me, its black doorway yawning wide. I was drawn towards it, but wanted to shun it and stumbled over sand and rubbish. The impulse was stronger than I. I had to go in. I staggered over planks and broken bricks into the deserted room. There was a moldy smell of damp, cold stones. A heap of sand lay there, a gray, bright speck. Otherwise, all else was dark. Suddenly, a terrified voice called to me, In God's name, Sinclair, where have you come from? and a human figure rose out of the darkness close to me, a little thin shape like a ghost. I recognized, while yet my hair was standing on end, my school companion, Knauer. "'How did you get here?' he asked as if mad with excitement. "'How have you been able to find me?' I did not understand. "'I wasn't looking for you,' I said, dazed. I spoke with difficulty. The words came from me painfully, as if from dead, heavy, frozen lips.' "'You weren't looking for me?' "'No, I was drawn here. "'Did you call me? "'You must have called. "'But what are you doing here? "'It's still night.' He put his thin arms convulsively round me. "'Yes, night, but it must soon be morning. "'Oh, Sinclair, to think that you didn't forget me. "'Can you ever forgive me?' "'What then?' "'Ah, I was so hateful.' "'Then I recollected our conversation.' Had that taken place four or five days ago, it seemed to me like a lifetime, but suddenly I knew all, not only what had occurred between us, but also why I had come, and what Knauer wanted to do there. "'You wanted, then, to take your life, Knauer?' He shuddered through cold and fear. "'Yes, I wanted to. I don't know whether I could have. I wished to wait until morning came.' I drew him into the open the first oblique rays of day glimmered indescribably cold through the gray atmosphere i led the boy on my arm a little way i heard my own voice saying now go home and don't say anything to anybody you were on a false track a false track and we are not swine as you think we are men we make gods and we wrestle with them and they bless us silently we went on and separated when I came home, it was day. The best that mystery in St. Blank had yet to give me was the hours with Pistorius at the organ or by the chimney fire. We read a Greek text about Abraxas together. He read to me portions of a translation of the Veda and taught me to say the sacred Om. However, it was not this learned instruction which was of service to my inner self, but rather the contrary what did me good was the self-progression i made the increasing confidence in my own dreams thoughts and presentiments and the consciousness of the power that i carried in me i had an excellent understanding with pistorius in every way i needed only to think intently of him and i could be sure that he or a greeting from him would come to me i could ask him just as i could damien something or other without his being there in person i needed only to imagine his presence and put my questions to him as intensive thoughts then all the soul force i had put into the question came back to me as answer only it was not the person of pistorius which i called up in my imagination nor that of max damien but it was the picture i had painted and of which i had dreamed it was the half man half woman dream picture of my demon to which i called It lived now not only in my dreams, it was no longer painted on paper, but it was in me as a desire picture and an enhancement of my spiritual self. The relation into which the unsuccessful suicide Knauer entered with me was peculiar and sometimes amusing since the night i had been sent to him he dogged my steps like a faithful servant or hound sought to attach himself to me and followed me blindly he came to me with curious questions and wishes he wanted to see spirits to learn the kabbalah and he did not believe me when i assured him i understood nothing of all these things he credited me with being able to do anything but it was singular that he often came to me with his queer and silly questions just at the moment when I myself had a mental knot to be disentangled. His moody ideas and concerns often gave me the cue, the impulse which helped me in the solution of my own problems. He was often tiresome, and I imperiously drove him away. I felt, however, that he had been sent to me and what I gave to him I received twofold in return. He also was a guide, or rather, a way. The mad books and publications he brought me, and in which he sought the key to happiness, taught me more than I realized at the time. This canower vanished later from my path, neither did I miss him. No arrangement, no understanding was necessary with him, but it was with Pistorius, towards the close of my school career in st blank i lived through another peculiar experience with my friend even innocuous innocent people are not altogether spared the shock of a conflict even they come once in their lives in conflict with the beautiful virtues of piety and gratitude each must make the step which parts him from his father from his teachers each must once feel something of the bitterness of loneliness though most people cannot support it for long and soon creep back to their homes again. It was not a great struggle for me to part from my parents and their world, the bright world of my beautiful childhood. But slowly and almost imperceptibly, I had got further from them and become more of a stranger to them. I regretted it. It often caused me bitter hours during my visits home. But it was not deep. I could bear it. But when we have offered love and reverence of our own accord, and not out of habit, when we have been disciples and friends with our innermost feelings, then it is a bitter and terrible moment when the realization is suddenly brought home to us that the guiding current of our life is bearing us away from those we love. Then every thought of ours which rejects our friend and teacher enters our own heart like a poisoned sting, Every blow of self-defense strikes back into our own face. Then he who felt that the dictates of his own conscience were an authentic guide reproaches himself with the terms faithlessness and ingratitude. Then the terrified heart flees anxiously back to the valleys of childhood virtues and cannot believe that the rupture must take place, that another bond must be severed. In the course of time, a feeling had slowly developed in me, which refused to recognize my friend Pistorius unconditionally as my guide. What I experienced in the most important moments of my youth was my friendship with him, his counsel, his consolation, his proximity. God had spoken to me through him. Through him, my dreams returned to me. From his mouth came their explanation— From him, I learned their significance. He had given me the courage to realize myself, and now, alas, I felt a growing opposition against him. In his conversation, he evinced too clearly a desire to instruct me. I felt it was only one side of my nature that he thoroughly understood. There was no quarrel, no scene between us, no rupture. I said to him only a single, really harmless word— But nevertheless, it was the moment when an illusion between us fell in colored pieces. The presentiment had for some time already oppressed me, but one Sunday in his scholarly old room, this presentiment changed to a definite feeling. We were lying on the floor before the fire. He was speaking of mysteries and religious forms which he was studying and on which he was meditating. "'he occupied himself with trying to picture their possible future. "'To me all this seemed curious and interesting, "'but scarcely of vital importance. "'It smacked of erudition. "'It was like a fatiguing search among the ruins of former worlds. "'And all at once I felt an aversion from the whole business, "'from this cult of mythology, from this sort of piecing together, "'this mosaic work of religious forms, "'which had been handed down to posterity.' "'Pistorius,' I said suddenly, in a malicious outburst, which surprised and frightened even myself, "'relate a dream, a real dream, one that you have had in the night. "'What you have just been talking about is so, so cursedly antiquarian.' "'He had never heard me speak thus. With shame and terror, I realized the very same moment that the arrow I had shot at him, and which had entered his heart—' was taken from his own quiver i realized that i had heard him reproach himself in an ironical tone on this very account and that now i had maliciously turned one of his own reproaches against him like a re-sharpened arrow he felt it instantly and was silent i looked at him with terror in my heart and saw that he had become very pale after a long very heavy pause he put some wood on the fire and said quietly "'You are quite right, Sinclair. "'You're a wise fellow. "'I will spare you all this antiquarian business.' "'He spoke very quietly, "'but his tone told me how deeply he had been wounded. "'What had I done? "'I was on the point of tears. "'I wanted to beg his pardon with all my heart "'to assure him of my affection and gratitude. "'Moving words came into my mind, "'but I could not utter them.' HE WAS SILENT AS WELL, AND SO WE LAY THERE WHILE THE FLAMES LEAPED UP AND THEN SANK, AND WITH EACH FLAME THAT PALED FELL SOMETHING BEAUTIFUL AND fervid THAT CEASED TO GLOW AND HAD VANISHED, NEVER AGAIN TO COME BACK. I FEAR YOU HAVE MISUNDERSTOOD ME, I SAID AT LAST, MUCH CRUSHED, AND WITH A DRY, hoarse VOICE. THE SILLY, SENSELESS WORDS CAME AS IF MECHANICALLY FROM MY LIPS, AS IF I HAD BEEN READING THEM OUT OF A NEWS-SHEET. "'I understood you perfectly,' said Pistorius softly. "'You are quite right.' We waited, then he continued slowly, so far as one man can be right in his judgment of another. "'No, no,' a voice inside me said. "'I am wrong, but I could not say anything. "'I knew that I had aimed my single little word "'at his one essential weakness.' i had touched the point of which he himself was distrustful his idea was antiquarian he was a seeker but retrogressive he was a romantic and suddenly i realized that it was just what he had been to me and had given me that he could not be and give to himself he had guided me to a point on the road beyond which he the guide could not go god knows how i could have uttered such a word i had not meant it badly i had had no idea it would lead to a catastrophe i had uttered something the import of which i did not myself realize at the moment of utterance i had surrendered myself to a somewhat witty somewhat malicious inspiration and fate used it as her instrument i had been guilty of a little thoughtlessness prudeness and he had accepted it as a judgment oh how much i wished then that he would have got angry have defended himself have shouted at me but he did nothing i had all that to do within myself he would have smiled had he been able the fact that he could not showed me more than anything else how hard i had hit him and because pistorius took the blow from me his presumptuous and ungrateful pupil so quietly because he silently agreed with me because he recognized my word as a judgment of fate he caused me to hate myself he made my thoughtlessness seem a thousand times greater than it was as i struck i had thought to hit a strong man capable of defending himself now he was a meek suffering creature defenseless "'who surrendered in silence. "'We remained a long time lying before the dying fire "'in which each glowing figure, each crumbling ash heap "'called to my memory happy, beautiful, rich hours, "'making my guilt and my obligation to Pistorius "'greater and greater. "'Finally, I could bear it no longer. "'I got up and went. "'A long time I stood before his door. "'A long time I listened on the dark staircase,' A long time I stood outside in front of the house, waiting to see whether perhaps he would come out to me. Then I went on, walking for hours and hours through town and suburbs, park and wood, until evening fell. At that moment I felt for the first time the mark of Cain on my forehead. I fell to pondering and rumination. I had every intention in thinking matters over to accuse myself and to defend Pistorius, but all ended to the contrary. A thousand times I was ready to repent of my rash word and to withdraw it, but it had been true nevertheless. Now I succeeded in understanding Pistorius, in building up his whole dream. This dream had been to be a priest, to proclaim a new religion, to invent new forms of exaltation, of love of worship to set up new symbols but this was not within his province he lingered too long in the past he knew too much of what had been he knew too much of egypt of india of mithras of abraxas his love was attached to ideas with which the world was already familiar and in his inmost self he probably recognized that the new religion had to be different that it had to spring from fresh sources and not be drawn out of collections and libraries. His office was perhaps to help men find themselves, as he had done with me. But to found a new doctrine, to give new gods to the world, was not his function in life. And at this point the realization came upon me that everyone has an office, a charge, but to no one is it permitted to choose his office for himself and to discharge it as he likes it was wrong to want new gods it was entirely wrong to wish to give the world anything a man has absolutely no other duty than this to seek himself to grope his own way forward no matter whither it leads that thought impressed itself deeply on me that was the fruit of this new event for me often had i pictured the future i had dreamed of filling roles which might be destined for me as poet perhaps or as prophet as painter or some such role all that was of no account i was not here to write to preach to paint neither i nor anyone else was here for that purpose all that was secondary the true vocation for every one was only to attain to self-realization he might end as poet or as madman "'as prophet or as criminal. "'That was not his affair. "'That was of no consequence in the long run. "'His business was to work out his own destiny, "'not any destiny, but his own, "'to live for that entirely and uninterruptedly. "'Everything else was merely an attempt to shun his fate, "'to fly back to the ideals of the masses, "'to adapt himself to circumstances. "'It was fear of his own inner being.' there rose before me this new picture terrible and sacred suggested to me a hundred times ere this perhaps often already expressed but now for the first time lived i was a throw from nature's dice-box a projection into the unknown perhaps into something new perhaps into the void and my sole vocation was to let this throw up from primeval depths work itself out in me to feel its will in me and to make it mine. That solely. I had already known what it was to be very lonely. Now I felt I could be lonelier still, and that I could not escape from it. I made no attempt to reconcile myself with Pistorius. We remained friends, but our relation towards one another had changed. Only one single time did we mention it. Or rather, it was only he who spoke of the matter. He said, I want to be a priest, you know that. I would best of all like to be the priest of the religion of which we have so many presentiments. I can never be that, I know. I have known it already for some time, without fully admitting it. I will do some other priestly service, perhaps at the organ, perhaps in another way. But I must always be surrounded by something which I find beautiful and sacred. Organ music and mysteries, symbol and myth. I need that, and I cannot persuade myself to leave it That is my weakness. I often realize, Sinclair, that I should not have such desires, that they are a luxury and a weakness. It would be greater, it would be more right, if I placed myself quite simply at the disposition of fate without pretensions. That is the sole thing I cannot do. Perhaps you will sometime be able to do it. It is hard. It is the only thing really hard there is, my friend." I have often dreamed of it, but I cannot do it. I tremble at the thought of it. I cannot stand so completely naked and alone. I am a poor, weak hound who needs a little warmth and food, who occasionally likes to feel the proximity of his own kind. He whose only desire is to work out his own destiny has no kith or kin, but stands alone and has only the cold world space around him. Do you know that is jesus in the garden of gethsemane there have been martyrs who willingly let themselves be nailed to the cross but even they were not heroes they were not free they also wished for something to which they had become accustomed which they had loved with which they had felt at home they had examples or ideals he who will fulfill his destiny has neither examples nor ideals. He has nothing dear to him, nothing to comfort him. And one really ought to go this way. People like you and I are certainly very lonely, but we still have each other. We have the secret satisfaction of being different, of revolting, of wanting the unusual. But we must drop that too, if we would go the whole way. We must not wish to be revolutionaries, or examples, or martyrs. TO THINK THE THOUGHT TO ITS LOGICAL END. NO, ONE COULD NOT THINK BEYOND THAT, BUT ONE COULD DREAM OF IT, COULD SENSE IT, COULD ANTICIPATE IT. A FEW TIMES I REALIZED SOMETHING OF THIS IN A VERY QUIET HOUR. THEN I LOOKED STRAIGHT INTO THE OPEN, STARING EYES OF MY FATE. THEY COULD HAVE BEEN FULL OF WISDOM OR FULL OF MADNESS. THEY COULD BE FULL OF LOVE OR FULL OF WICKEDNESS. IT WAS ALL ONE. One was to choose nothing of all that. One was to want nothing. One was only to want oneself, one's destiny. In that way had Pistorius served me, for a time, as guide. In those days I walked about as if I were blind. Storms roared within me. Every step meant danger. I was conscious of nothing but the precipitous darkness in front of me, down to which all the roads I had trodden hitherto seemed to lead. AND IN MY INWARD SELF I SAW THE PICTURE OF THE GUIDE WHO RESEMBLED Damien, AND IN WHOSE EYES STOOD MY FATE. I WROTE ON A SHEET OF PAPER, A GUIDE HAS LEFT ME. I STAND IN COMPLETE DARKNESS. I CANNOT TAKE A STEP ALONE. HELP ME. I WISHED TO SEND THAT TO Damien, YET I OMITTED TO DO THIS, FOR EACH TIME I WISHED TO DO IT, IT SEEMED FOOLISH AND MEANINGLESS. But I knew that little prayer by heart, and often said it to myself. It accompanied me hourly. I began to realize what prayer is. My school career was over. My father had arranged that during the holidays I was to travel, and then I was to go to university. In which faculty, I knew not. I was to be allowed to take philosophy for one semester. I should have been equally content with anything else. End of chapter six, part two, Jacob wrestles with God.